Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. How's this for a perfect metaphor for today's crypto market? A Lambo is seized. Good evening. I'm Mark Hoxton, and this is Late Confirmation from Coindesk bringing you the top stories from September 17th, 2018. Cloudflare says it's made it easier to access the interplanetary file system. Bancor partners with EOS. And lastly, we'll speak with Coindesk columnist Michael J. Casey about the future of Ethereum and the price of Ether. They ain't directly correlated, folks. But first, a word from our sponsor. Master Financial Technology Online with the 10-week Oxford FinTech program. Interacting with an international cohort of business leaders and over 60 guest experts, you'll gain a practical introduction to key financial technologies and their business applications. Find out more at OxfordExecFintech.com. A U.S. District Court ruled in favor of seizing the assets and property of Alexander Kazis, the Canadian who was allegedly behind the darknet market Alpha Bay. Kaz has committed suicide by hanging himself in a Thai prison last summer, following his arrest. Alpha Bay was 10 times bigger than Silk Road, an earlier darknet marketplace for drugs and other illegal goods. The website was launched in September 2014 and boasted over 400,000 lifetime users and $800,000 worth of daily transactions. One of those listings, famously, was user account data stolen from the ride-sharing app Uber and British telecom giant TalkTalk in 2015. Via commissions on Alphabet transactions, the 26-year-old Kazis managed to accumulate more than $8.8 million in cryptocurrencies, including about 1,600 Bitcoin, 8,300 Ether, 3,700 Zcash, and an unknown amount of Monero. The wallets were linked to bank accounts belonging to Kazis and his wife in Thailand, Switzerland, and the Caribbean. After the couple cashed out, they bought a 2013 Lamborghini Aventador, along with three other luxury vehicles and six beachfront vacation estates. Kazis was arrested in Bangkok in July of 2017. Internet security provider Cloudflare presented a portal allowing users to more easily access the interplanetary file system, also known as IPFS. IPFS is a decentralized storage protocol developed by Protocol Labs. Cloudflare is in the midst of what it calls Crypto Week. Every day, it's going to announce new technology that, quote, uses cryptography to make the internet better, unquote. 
IPFS allows users to access content even if the node that runs the website goes down. Cloudflare also says that users can request data using hash values rather than IP addresses. And even though the protocol is decentralized, users can still report abusive or harmful content, so Cloudflare may be able to revoke its portal to any websites providing such content. Although as an aside, folks, that's a slippery slope. Bancor, one of the most popular decentralized marketplaces, is expanding to the EOS blockchain. The company announced today that it's launching a new cross-chain product called Bancor X. It will allow users to trade between select EOS-based tokens as well as between EOS and Ethereum-based tokens. It's yet to be specified which tokens will be included. The reason for this expansion, as Bancor explained, is that the EOS network is faster than Ethereum. It also requires no transaction fees, in contrast to Ethereum, where users have to pay gas to call smart contracts. Also, EOS eliminates front-running risk, since transactions aren't prioritized in exchange for paying higher fees. However, deploying dApps on EOS can be costly for developers, as Coindesk has previously reported. And we're back. Very special guest today. Joining us is Michael Casey, the chairman of Coindesk's advisory board, a senior advisor at MIT Media Lab's Digital Currency Initiative, co-author of two influential books on blockchain, and an international man of mystery. Michael, thanks for joining us today. <laughs> thanks, Mark. I love it. International man of mystery. Yes, that's absolutely what I am. <laughs> and speaking of mysteries, you've got a fascinating column on Coindesk today, uh, that's somewhat counterintuitive. Uh, you've observed that there seems to be this persistent uh, disconnect between the price performance of Ether, that is the native cryptocurrency of the Ethereum network, and the value of the Ethereum network itself. How can this be, Michael? Well, actually, it's something that draws upon, you know, theory around money itself, right? It, this is, by the way, not to say, as some people are suggesting, that Ether could go to zero. I think that there is there is always a connect. It just may not be as strongly as correlated as the market had presumed between the value of uh, an Ethereum network and, uh, and, and the actual, you know, token itself. Uh, and this theory of money is like, of course, if, if you – Money that rises in value is a is a really good store of value. But if it is a really good store of value, it's not something that you want to get rid of. It's only something you want to hold, right? So there's this thing called Gresham's Law, which yeah. talks about how uh, bad money always chases out good. And the idea being that, that, that in fact, to function as money, not necessarily from, from what I think a lot of libertarians think of money as being something that's reflecting my property and what I own, but rather simply to be a vehicle of exchange that enables exchange, then you kind of need the money to be something you actually want to get rid of. It doesn't mean that you want, you want in hyperinflation and you want all these sort of debasing things, but if there's just an expectation that it's not such a great store of value for the future, you'll be more willing to actually use it as an exchange. Now, I think Bitcoin actually is a store of value. I think it, it, it's proving itself, and that's actually a bit of a, a challenge for Bitcoin if you think it's going to become a functional currency. And there's all sorts of people trying to figure out ways to make it functional. But I actually think that that, that sort of the fact that it's scarce and, and has this you know, censorship resistance and so forth, and people feel like it's virtually a digital gold, means it's a great store of value, but it's not such a great transactional currency. Now, flip that around and think about Ethereum. You know, Ether really needs to function transactionally. It's there to 
fulfill the purpose of, you know, dApps to decentralized applications to functions so that this it's gas the, function... It's, it's the fuel, the fuel for, for dApps. The fuel for dApps. Without it, you can't institute, uh, you know, or execute the various, you know, instructions that, that computers are carrying out through the process of delivering those decentralized applications. So then you need it to be something that's actually very fluid and mobile, which kind of goes against creating something that you really want to hold, right? So I think, you know, and this is... I, I'm, I'm, I'm now uh, imagining, picturing uh, arcade tokens. So you go into like a, like a video game arcade and you, you, know, you buy a bunch of, uh, you know, coins that are, you can just spend to put in the machines there. And uh, you, you wouldn't, you wouldn't, uh, you wouldn't uh, save those for your retirement. Right, exactly. I think that's a very good analogy, right? It doesn't mean that the that this is a really bad uh, uh, business model. It's just that the value of that business model is not captured in the token itself, right? I think this is going to be a really interesting challenge for Ethereum because I want to be clear, this is not a column that's saying Ethereum is a failure by any stretch. It's saying, in fact, that there's just a disconnect. I, mean, we, I think there's incredible inventiveness that's being done around all sorts of decentralized applications that have been inspired by the wonderful concept of smart contracts. Mm-hmm. And that that's a really interesting thing. But we might have to, as we go through this process of figuring out how these really complex ecosystems work, have to figure out what the actual business model is. The idea, this kind of frat fat protocol idea that you'll be able to capture value just by creating massive you know, decentralized networks that grow constantly because you can incentivize the developer to build those open systems because the token is going to constantly rise in value might not actually be real because look at what's happened to the price of Ether, right? We've, we've, we saw it rise rapidly, almost to $1,500 uh, last year. Because for a brief period, it was being used as a store of value. You had to store the ETH to participate in all of the ICOs that were coming. But that cycle's over, so everyone's just dumping them because what do those developers need? They don't need ETH. They, they need dollars. They need dollars to sort of pay their developers and everything else, right? That's the reality of the world. The reality of the world is that we've still got this fiat structure uh, and, and, and yes, of course, to, to continue uh, transacting, you're going to need ETH. But do you need as much? I don't think you do because it's, it's like your tokens in the arcade. You want them to function, not necessarily to be held. So there was a sort of a, a brief kind of an anomalous period in which that boom kind of overstated the store, store of value uh, against uh, what was really ETH's, ETH's quote-unquote value, which is this transactional you know, fuel and gas-like like property. So is there a floor uh, somewhere for, for the value, value of Ether? We just have to figure out where I, it I is? I don't know where it is, but I do think it is. I, I don't think like Jeremy Rubin was claiming that it could go to zero. I, I, I don't think that's the point. I, I do think that there is value in transactionality, right? So people are going to want to own something that is being used. I'm not disputing that. That's, that's absolutely clear. So at some point... The, if, if, if Ethereum is successful, but again, that's an open question, but let's assume that it is, and I think it's a reasonable assumption, then people are going to demand Ether because it's useful. They're just not going to want it as a store of value. They're just going to have to have it every now and then to use. And there'll be developers who will need to have a store of it. And so there's, 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 store, there's stores of it. But, it. but probably what will also happen is that liquidity providers will step into the system and make sure that there's ETH that gets moved around. And how, who, who owns that and where does it store and how fluid it is? These are, these are interesting questions that will give some value to it. But if there's not a big core of people who just want to own ETH because they're hanging on to it because it's their, it's their big store of value for the future, then I'm not sure that it could 
it's going to take a lot more utility and functionality than we currently have. And and I don't know how much further in the future than what we got during the ICO boom to bring us back up to that $1,500 level and beyond. And you've got all this sort of rewiring going on under the hood with Ethereum now. You know, you've got uh, Constantinople coming up. You've got uh, long term, they want to move to proof of stake. Um, how, how does that all, you know, they, they, they're talking about rewriting the Ethereum virtual machine. How does that all, how does that all play into this conversation? Yeah, really good question. And I, and I think, you know, I note in the column that, again, open questions. I, I really don't deign to have the answer because this is a living experiment, right, when where the value is defined and where it comes from. But I think that, um, yeah, th- th- I think proof of stake might be the sort of thing that would change the dynamics a little bit, right? Because you to to participate and to validate, you you need to own. So that that I think may well be one of the the, the factors that changes things. Uh, so so it's really worth looking at how that plays out. You know, on the other hand, you know, sharding and 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 anything that sort of increases the transactionality. <clears throat> um, is really useful for for Ethereum itself, and it's wonderful for the idea that we might be able to, you know, run out something like CryptoKitties and not have the system crash, mm-hmm. right? And hopefully, many, many more, you know, really wonderful applications on top of it. But precisely because of what I was just talking about, I don't know that necessarily in and of itself adds to the value of Ether, right? I mean. Proof of stake might, but transactionality capabilities through sharding and the like, um, you know, may, may have some impact on the price of ETH because it's it does have more usefulness, but it doesn't inherently get back to that store of value idea that is sort of core to the value of money. So, if if, if I'm hearing you correctly, I, it, it sounds like in the long term, uh, developers uh, may. Uh, in the long run, be very pleased with how this all plays out. But for people who are speculating at the moment, they're the ones who are who are likely to be disappointed. Yeah, or well, m- maybe better to say those who speculated, you know, in in December last year or January, in early January. I mean, I think anyone who bought into ETH on the speculative basis that they were going to get some big boom out of this anytime after September, uh, you know, is looking like having to question the logic of that. Um, Maybe it flaws here. I don't know. I'm, I'm not a price predictor. Um, but I certainly think that, um, yeah, we're learning a lot uh, about the limits of the sort of speculative gain that you can expect from this particular market and, and others that look like it for that matter. So if you're looking to get rich quick, look elsewhere. Michael, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks, Mark. Late Confirmation is brought to you by Oxford University's Said Business School. You can now study fintech entirely online with Oxford University's Said Business School. The 10-week program gives you the tools you need to build the future of transactions and commerce. You'll explore emerging technologies that will disrupt marketplaces and financial services, and examine the state of the industry and plan disruptive intra- and entrepreneurial interventions. Throughout the program, you'll be exposed to key ideas, principles, and frameworks from CEOs of leading startups, corporate leaders, and instructional leaders at the forefront of research in the space of future commerce and transactions. Find out more at OxfordExecFintech.com. For more on today's stories and to subscribe to our newsletters, and boy, have we got newsletters. We've got the Markets Newsletter with all your charts, all your technical analysis. We've got Blockchain Bytes, which is your handy-dandy summary 
of the day's news and events for the busy reader on the go. And we've got Coindesk Weekly, which is your kind of lean back long read that we put out on Sundays. So if you want to subscribe to any or all of these, go to Coindesk.com. You can find us on Twitter at Coindesk. If you're enjoying the show so far, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. For Coindesk, I'm Mark Hochstein, and this has been Late Confirmation. The Podglomerate, a sonic universe. These days, work is in trouble. We've outsourced most of our manufacturing to other countries. And with that, we sent away good jobs and our capability to make things. American Giant is a clothing company that's pushing back against this tide. They make all kinds of high-quality clothing and activewear, like sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more right here in the USA. So when you buy American Giant, you create jobs in towns and cities across the country. And jobs bring pride. Purpose. They stitch people together. If all that sounds good to you, visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with promo code STAPLE20.